Hello everyone. Happy Wednesday and happy new month of August. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe out there. This is your favorite host, Shade, and welcome to another episode of the Win and STEM podcast. For our first-time listeners, Win and STEM is a platform to highlight successful people of color STEMinists to show others how to get a seat at the table in Win and Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. I'm really excited about today's episode. Season two will soon come to an end, so you already know we have to go out with the bang. We're starting a new series today called STEMpreneur, STEM plus entrepreneur, and we're highlighting people of color STEMists who either own their business or have transitioned from STEM to entrepreneurship. My first special guest for this series is one of my good friends, Jason Concalves. We both graduated from UMass Amherst. We were involved with Nesby. He held me down with the engineering physics labs and homeworks. I came in clutch. So thank you so much, Jason, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me. I forgot all about that, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) It's been so long. It's been so long, my Lord. How can I forget that? I need to (laughs) It's crazy, man. Honestly, I was with Mo. Um a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago at this point, and he was bringing up a bunch of stuff from undergrad days, and I'm like, I don't even remember that happened. So <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's crazy, you know, what your mind will kind of put all the way back there once, you, mm-hmm. once you're in a different field, once you're doing different things, or some years have passed by. Definitely, definitely. So, Jason, on my podcast, I like my guests to introduce themselves. So I want this to be a time for you to showcase your accomplishments, success, give us a little background information about yourself. As you know, the media, we don't really hear enough positivity for people of color. So I really want this platform to showcase us in a positive way. So I give you all the permission to brag about yourself. This is your time to shine. The floor is yours. Um, All right. All right. Thank you to everybody that's listening. My name is Jason Monsalch. I was born in Angola. My mother's grandparents are from Cape Verde. Um, and I am a civil engineer by, you know, I graduated with my bachelor's of science in civil engineering from UMass Amherst. Shout out Minutemen. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I am a entrepreneur and more specifically a restaurateur. So um, I run a restaurant full-time, so a full-service restaurant, about 4,000 square feet, located about 30 miles south of Boston in a city called Brockton, which is one of the most diverse cities all in New England and probably the, the blackest city in all New England. I know we have more uh, black homeowners in Brockton, Massachusetts than we do in any other city in the state of Massachusetts. So very proud of where we're at. That's what I do all day, every day. Before going into this industry, I was um, working in oil and gas as a maintenance engineer. Did a little bit of traveling with that. So I was in uh, Scotland. Before Scotland, I was in Denmark. Before Denmark, I was in Houston, 
And before that, I was working a little bit as a, you know, like entry level project engineer for a construction company. Uh, before that, I did a couple of different internships, one for a construction company, one for the Massachusetts Department of Transportation. And before that, I was just, you know, I was just an engineering student um, in college at UMass. So that's kind of a little, you know, backtracking kind of my path up until where I am right now. Thank you. So let's dive into these questions. So first up, how how was your college experience? So you said you majored in civil engineering. Yes. Did you always want to be a civil engineer? No. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> you know how African parents are. You have to either be an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. I know how it'd be. I know how it'd be. Um Fortunately, my parents were actually kind of cool, man. I really got to shout out mom and dad. So a little bit of background. My parents basically both more or less have like, you know, a, a high school education um, where I was born, where, you know, our, our family came together, where my parents, you know, met and made their lives in Angola. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of problems. There was a lot, a lot of problems. Um, the country got independence in 1975. There was a civil war that only ended in 2002. Um, so that was kind of like the backdrop of where our family was at. And because of that and a bunch of other factors, my folks didn't really get to do, you know, a higher level of education. So they were kind of tradespeople. When we came to the U.S. in 96, my father, he was a uh, you know, he went to school, he learned English. He was kind of always, you know, business oriented as a person. Um, he got his mechanic certificate and he started working as a mechanic. That's what he did. Um, my mother, when we first came, she also, you know, went to school to learn English. At first, you know, typical immigrant story. She was, um, you know, cleaning houses. And then eventually they pulled some money together with family members and they ended up buying a restaurant um they didn't really have no restaurant experience with but that's kind of how you know things kind of got started for our family when i was going to school i didn't really have you know a lot of guidance i didn't really have you know anybody to look to to put me onto game as far as like you know how everything worked whether that be you know even the high school experience, the college experience. So I kind of just did what I thought was, you know, the right thing to do as a kid, which is just like, yo, just, you know, keep passing your classes, keep going on to the next grade. Um, I remember in high school, I met like one guy who was an architect and that sounded cool to me. And um, because the country that I immigrated from was, you know, it was kind of messed up after the civil war. I, you know, I just thought in a very basic way, like a kid, I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, the country's messed up and you know, they need to rebuild. What do they need to rebuild? Cool, architects. The guy I met is an architect, so I'm going to be an architect. Like, that was kind <laughs> of the very simple thought process I went through. Um, fast forward, because of financial aid, shout out UMass financial aid department. Y'all are greatly appreciated. Um, I went to okay. UMass. What up? I said sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, I don't know how it is nowadays. 
But back in the good year of our Lord, 2008, oh, that was blessing me. Um, so, yeah, because of that, you know, I did half decent in high school. I wasn't the greatest student, but I also wasn't terrible. Um, I, I, I found myself at UMass. Um, and through a series of, again, just, you know, kind of being a dumb kid as far as making decisions on the fly, I found myself studying landscape architecture, you know, my freshman year, first semester, which I literally just thought to myself, like, oh, it's like architecture with a little, a little bit of plants. It is not like architecture with a little bit of plants. It's a completely <laughs> different field of study. Everything's very different. But um, about, I want to say maybe a month, a month and a half into that, I was like, man, I don't think I like this landscape architecture thing. In fact, I don't really think I like this architecture thing that much. Um, I'm a creative person, but, you know, I think I had a little bit of imposter syndrome going on at that time. And I was like, I don't really think I could really cut it with this like that. So um, I didn't think I could draw well enough. And I thought that was going to be a big thing. I didn't really think about the fact that, you know, most architects are just doing things on the computer. Um but either way, I met with a counselor and I told them, I was like, well, I don't think this architecture thing's for me or landscape architecture. So what should I do? And, you know, I tested pretty well um, in high school. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I told him my plan. I was like, oh, I want to go back to Angola. I want to help build the country. And he was like, well, if you want to do that, and if you're talking about like building structures, it sounds like you want to be a civil engineer. And um, the school I had come from was a really, really good school as far as high school and we had some kids that were just like geniuses like we had kids that were scoring damn near perfect on the sats you know we had like people going to harvard people going to mit on full scholarships and like a lot of them you know said that they wanted to major in engineering so i was like oh man like i don't i don't doubt that i'm a smart person but i don't think i'm on that level so i don't really know if i should do engineering and god bless him he was real real cool his name is donio ferreira basically like the godfather of a lot of students over at our university. And he was like, no, you know, I think you, you know, you did well enough on your test. I think you could do it. And I was like, all right, all right, cool. Like, like I'll do it. But I'm not going to be one of those kids that wants to switch their major every five seconds. So like if I switch, like that's it. Like I'm just, yeah, I'm going with the, you know, got to see it through my boy. Got to see it through. And he was like, cool, by the way, I just want to let you know you're going to graduate late. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I was like, man, I'm a freshman. I'm a first semester freshman. And he was like, yeah, I was like, I thought freshmen were allowed to change their majors. He was like, not into engineering. I was like, oh, all right, that <laughs> I'm going to prove you wrong. I was just being stubborn at 18. So, um, yeah, thus began uh roller coaster four and a half year experience of you know taking some classes out of order taking classes before the prerequisites certain classes only offered during certain semesters you know having to huddle up and group up and you know pass test notes and former materials and and nesby and chef and 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 all of that you know the diversity and engineering office all of that, all of that, all of that. But hey, mama, we made it. We graduated. We made it, mama. We made it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But yeah, it was um, it was a wild ride. It was a wild ride. There weren't 
the few, the proud, the black engineers. There weren't many of us, but we made it. <laughs> yeah, we did. I'm so proud of us, though. We we all doing our thing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When I look back to everybody, both like you know, a couple years older, a couple years younger, whether they stayed in STEM or whether they didn't, like that that little squad um, of black Latino engineers of color, like. I'm proud mm-hmm. of kind of how everybody has done and everybody I can see is doing well. So that's that's a very that's a very joyful thing to think about. So you mentioned that you like worked out of the country of yes. Denmark and other countries. So how how was that experience? That experience was interesting. It was interesting. Like it was cool on a cultural level. Um, and just kind of getting out of the mind frame of, you know, just the U.S., the U.S., the U.S. I think for a lot of us, if you, um, were born here, or even if you weren't, if you grew up here, like, you can kind of think that, you know, the world ends at California and New York, like, there's, you know, there's not other places, but it was interesting meeting, you know, brilliant engineers and, you know, other professionals from other countries interacting with them, being able to work alongside them. And not only that, kind of, you know, prove your worth, prove that you Mm -hmm. belong in the industry, prove that you do have the capacity to, you know, contribute in a meaningful way. So I was very, I was super, super thankful for that experience. Um, I was thankful to the company that, that provided, you know, the opportunities for me to go out there experience those things nice so went to umass hamhurst graduated with civil engineering had some international working experience when did you transition to entrepreneurship like was it always your plan to transition or did you come out of college with the game plan okay i'm gonna graduate engineering then go into entrepreneurship or did something (sighs) happen like spilled all the tea oh all of it man that's such a it was a journey it was a journey it was not necessarily planned but what happened was just like a lot of different you know sometimes like you get a message and you get the same message in a lot of different ways Mm. and it gets to certain points where like you can't really ignore it like you kind of have to you kind of have to unravel and see what's there. And I think that's mm-hmm. how, you know, me and entrepreneurship came together. Because, um, so I remember always kind of having that mindset a little bit as a kid, which was like, you know, I remember as early as third grade, like putting two and two together and thinking to myself, well, you know, we all like to go to the corner store and buy candy. But what happens if I buy the candy early and then I take the candy to school because we can't have candy at school. So, like, I can sell it and I can make a profit, whatever it was at the time, like 10 cents or 20 cents. But, like, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking in that way, like, in the most basic ways when I was a kid. Um, I didn't really, really expand on that. Um, Maybe until around college is when I started gaining a lot of those skills that you really need to be successful in entrepreneurship and i really got that through you know like groups clubs you know at umass we call them our souls registered student organizations um 
I was a part of a lot of different ones, both STEM related ones and non STEM related ones. And that's when you kind of start learning about budgeting. That's when you start, mm-hmm. you know, collaborating and being able to work with others and lead a team or come up with, you know, an activity or a project or an initiative and like gather around that and, and just have that sensation of building something where there is nothing or where there isn't much. And I resonated with it. I resonated with it at all, with, a, with it a lot. Um, in my engineering classes, I remember, um, you know, there were students that were brilliant, like as far as like design, as far as understanding the concepts. And I was okay. Like, I, just like Jason Osorifi, I was, I was part of the not great GPA club. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I was definitely part of the not great GPA club. But, where I did find myself excelling was like in a lot of the areas where I felt a lot of my peers weren't necessarily as strong. Like I could Mm -hmm. present very well. Um, I could, you know, build a team very well. I could, um, maybe if I didn't do the calculation myself, I had a way of being able to kind of gather folks together, or at least still understand the bigger picture, break it down in a simpler way to somebody that maybe isn't versed with the, um, with the technical background to be able to understand certain things. So I mm-hmm. saw that there was that there was value in that. And then um, my family, they had started the business when I was like basically a preteen teenager. And I kind of worked in the business in a very limited capacity for a lot of years. So like, you know, summer breaks, you know, I would come in, you know, whatever task they need to help with, I would try to help them out. I, you know, wash dishes to, to, you know, make a little bit of pizza money when I was a teenager. I bust tables. I, you know, was, you know, a waiter and then, you know, like an assistant manager. So I was doing like all of those little things. But at mm-hmm. the same time, because my folks didn't, you know, there was just a lot of things that they didn't know themselves. They kind of just counted on me to be the person with the answers. Like I remember when we needed to install a point of sale system for the first time, I was probably like 16, 16 or 17. And like, it was my job to go out and figure out, okay, what kind of system could we get? We were on really limited funds. The business was struggling, but that's like, that's procurement. You feel me? That's procurement. You don't learn that up until much later when, you know, you're in corporate or, you know, you're in, in a big company. But those are like those skills that I was developing, being able to look at different vendors, being able to look at the different options, figure out a system that would be functional for us. There was situations like that or, um, you know, we had to like do a logo or create a logo that's branding, that's marketing. But that's not something that I was necessarily taught. It was something that I kind of just like I had to figure it out because because my family needed it with their business. Mm-hmm. Um when I was working after, you know, graduating, getting a job, when I was working in the field, I remember specifically in oil and gas, people make a lot of money in oil and gas. Yeah. They make, they make crazy those. They got money. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to lie. I know that it's not a lot of money now in the grand scheme of things, right? Because I'm a little mm-hmm. bit older and wiser. But at the time, I was like, y'all are paying me how much to do what? Yes. Um, say less. <laughs> Say less, I'm there. Whatever part of the world you want to send me to. Um, But I remember also sitting down with a lot of people and they felt very, um, I don't want to say unfulfilled, but 
given how brilliant they were, the work that they were doing wasn't really a big challenge for them. Mm-hmm. And specifically, some of my colleagues at the time I was in Scotland. So when you're in the UK, they're cool. They do tea time. So like 10, 11 o'clock would hit. They'd be like, all right, Jason, it's time for tea time. I'd be like, all right, cool. So we take a quick 10-minute break in the break room. They'd have some tea and biscuits. And, and we would just chat about life. And a lot of them would tell me, they'd be like, yeah, you know, I remember when I was your age, because I was probably the youngest engineer in the office at that time. I was like 25. Um, they were like, I remember when I was your age, like I wanted to do this, I wanted to do that, but now I can't because now I have this, or, you know, I need this health insurance, or I need this benefits package, or I need all of these other things. And you could see like a lot of regret in their voices. Um, for not taking more risks or for kind of playing it safe. Um, and they were doing well. Like, they had a good job at a good company, good benefits package and all of that. But they weren't they weren't doing things necessarily on their terms. And so um, at that time, I had the option of staying out there in Scotland, but I was a little bit homesick. The oil and gas industry as a whole at that time, this was like in the middle of 2016, they had a crisis that had kind of started in like late 2014 where the price of oil just like fell dramatically. I think it was like maybe up to 60%. I remember um, the price of a barrel of oil in Brent crude, I think it was hovering around like 110 or $115. And then it came all the way down to like 40 something. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of projects became super uneconomical very fast. And um, they were laying people off left and right. But I kind of felt secure because they told me, like, hey, no matter what, like, you're all set. But the thing is, I, the game plan was for me to stay out there in Scotland. And I was like, ah, I don't know about this. Like, on the short-term contract, it's one thing. But on a permanent basis, mm. uh, that's a little bit different. So I submitted my resignation letter to which people looked at me like I was crazy. Because they were like, people are getting fired and you're resigning. I was like... Sorry, man, I'm going back to the States. Um, and when I came back at first, I didn't really plan to do entrepreneurship full time. I actually planned to just um, get another job in engineering, specifically construction, and then kind of do entrepreneurship on the side. That was kind of how I envisioned things going. When I got back to the States, though, I actually interviewed with a company. You know, they love my resume. they basically told me like hey like jobs yours we just really need your references and at the same time um (laughs) i had my mother actually you know take our whole staff i told her like you know get all the staff together like let's have a meeting talk to everybody see where their heads are at and you know see kind of what we can set out as goals for for this business because you know my mom was getting older it was just a lot for her to manage and I know the business had potential, but it just wasn't being managed to the capacity that it needed to be managed. So I sat down with the staff and like I started promising a bunch of stuff left and right. I was like, yeah, we're going to do this and that. And we're going to raise salaries. And we're going to do this and all of this other stuff. And I went home that night and I was like, dog, you're not going to do none of that if you have another job. <laughs> like, Just being realistic. I know there's only so many hours in the day. And... Mm-hmm. You know, it was the kind of thing where if I really, really, really wanted to make headway, I needed to go all in. And so I just kind of started to 
reconsider things. At that time, I had already paid off my student loans. So I was like, look, like engineering, the dedication and time that I made for it, I've at least paid it back. And I always thought to myself, hey, if I'll give this thing like two years. If it doesn't work out, I'll just go back into the industry. I'll have a gap in employment, but that doesn't suddenly mean that you can't get a job anywhere. Like, mm-hmm, you still have yeah. the degree, you still have the experience, you still have the capacity, and you're still growing and developing. And I was like, but if it does work out, like, who knows where I could be? And then I remember even thinking to myself, like, I saw, like, the board of directors for my company, and it was, it was all white people. And I was like what's the likelihood I'm going to be the first non-white person on that board? And I was like, ooh, it's slim. <laughs> it's slim, it's slim, it's slim, it's slim. And that was the case with a lot of companies. So I was like, you know what? If I don't take a risk now, I don't think I'm going to take a risk, you know, like 20 or 15 or 20 years from now when, like, you know, I'm well settled in the company. So I was like, oh, let's do this thing. And Boom. I dived head first in. I called that company back. I told them, hey, unfortunately, I accepted an offer somewhere else. And then I just, I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. So did you have any like, mentors or coaches to help you, like guide you with the entrepreneurship? But mostly just like following in your parents' footsteps. Um. So my parents were figuring out a lot of stuff. And they were relying on me a lot for it. So even while I was in industry, like, they were still calling me every single day and being like, yo, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you help with this? Can you help with that? Or sometimes I tackle areas that didn't even know were problem areas, whether that was, like, you know, costing out our menu or assessing our credit card fees or just whatever the case may be. So I couldn't necessarily turn to them for guidance because they were kind of turning to me for for guidance, you know, for like the solutions. What I did do though, is I reached out to a couple of local business owners in my area. Specifically, there was one restaurant um, who, it's called JJ's, I don't know, you know, if there's any people from Massachusetts ever heard of it, but um, they're currently closed because of, you know, everything that happened with Corona. But Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, I would, I considered them honestly the most successful restaurant in the city. Like, they had a lot of a lot of like clout just attached to their name. They did a wonderful job. They were voted like the best breakfast in the state and all of that. And the owners, um, they were Cape Verdean. In fact, the owner's youngest son went to UMass. He was a he was a year ahead of me. So um, we had a relationship. We had a we had a good relationship. So one day I just I went in there and I was like, Yo, I'm I'm about to do this restaurant thing. I'm about to do it for real. Like. I consider you guys the most successful. Like, if you wouldn't mind, I have a couple questions about things that I'm just not sure about. Like, yeah, you can read online all you want, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, having somebody that looks like you is from your community that. and is doing it and you can pick their brain, that's that's priceless. Mm-hmm. So God bless it. They were super cool. Like, they didn't have to really, you know, do that, but they sat down. They just put me on game for, like, hours. Like, I think we were there maybe four hours and I was just like jotting down a bunch of notes not not everything applied because everybody's business is different you know they were mm-hmm. a breakfast spot we're more like a lunch and dinner place they cater to a more generalized crowd we're more of an ethnic crowd um but it was very helpful it was very very helpful and um so I did that and then 
uh, I made friendships with other entrepreneurs. You know, one of my closest friends, like his family, owns a grocery store here in Brockton. And they actually, you know, expanded out. They made a second one that was, like, huge. You look at it, it looks like, you know, it's like a corporate one, even though it's a family-owned business. So they were breaking down some business games to me and then just a ton of self-education, a mm-hmm. ton of self-education, podcasts, YouTube, social media, you know, just following entrepreneurs and business folk just so that you can just soak up all of that knowledge, soak up all of that knowledge, like, and I just really made it like I made it my life. And you're successful. So Woo. you did your research <laughs> and you're getting your return and investment on it right now. I mean, yeah, it took it took a lot of trial and error too, though. So even with all that game, even with all of that research, like I've definitely committed plenty of mistakes, plenty of mistakes um, that had financial impacts, had real financial impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I dug myself in a hole before, like right at the beginning. And then, you know, I had to dig myself out. Um, not just me, but, but the business and the family. So mm-hmm. I definitely took a lot of L's. But now, like now, fast forward five years, I really, really feel comfortable um, in our business. And not only that, with the direction that that things are heading. I understand our market. I understand where, you know, we want to be within the next year, two years, five years. And, you know, I'm, I have the team now to actually execute it. But mm-hmm. it definitely took took a lot. It took a lot. took a lot. I've definitely worked harder probably in the last five years than I worked in, the, in my entire life put together before that, including all the schooling. Yeah. So you might have touched this briefly, but... Um... Were you able to use any skills from your STEM degree for being um, an entrepreneur? Definitely. Definitely. You're not necessarily going to be doing engineering calcs, you know, on the day-to-day. But Counting I think... money? No. Uh, <laughs> got the money coming for that. Yeah, bills. <laughs> bottom right through. No, but um, I think the biggest things that translate over from you know, the qualities that you need to succeed as an engineer to the qualities that you need to succeed as an entrepreneur. You know, you have to be an analytical person. You have to be an mm-hmm. analytical person. You have to be able to look at a process and, you know, scrub out the inefficiencies, figure out smarter, better ways to do that. You need to, you know, math is always your friend. So definitely use math. And then the other thing, too, is... A lot of times you need to be able to to figure things out relatively fast. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like the more willing you are to learn things, the more willing you are to to adapt, the more successful you're going to be as an entrepreneur. And I think I even remember reading this way back in UMass days, but if I'm not mistaken, most CEOs of Fortune 500 companies have engineering degrees or have STEM degrees, excuse me. Um mm-hmm. I think they were saying something where, like, they really, especially even for, like, MBA programs, they love people that come from step backgrounds because they know you have that. Exactly. You have that strong, analytical, calculating mind. So you're able to dissect a lot of different situations. Like, it's very rare that you're going to come with an engineering degree and somebody's going to doubt your capability to to problem solve. Mm -hmm. Like, so that those are really, like, the big, big benefits that come from the STEM degree. Is, is just that way of thinking, that way of looking at things that, you know, 
not saying that folks with STEM degrees don't have that, but that tends to be a very core requirement. Like it's usually hard for you to make it through to graduation if you don't have that type of, of way of looking at things and looking at the world. Yeah. But you haven't done anything different in undergrad that would have made you more successful now or made your path to success easier? During undergrad, hmm. I'm, I'm not sure, actually. I actually really enjoy my undergrad experience. Like, even with the lows, I'm very thankful for the lows. <laughs> um, I'm a huge, huge proponent of, like, you have to go through whatever you have to go through to get to where you get to. Yes, yes, yes. So if I hadn't had those failures, <laughs> I wouldn't have the strength that I do now where I don't think I would find the way I did so I I really wouldn't yeah I really would not change anything actually yo moment of real honesty I got fired from an internship one time an engineering internship yeah and I cried it was my sophomore year (laughs) um and looking back now it's funny but like I think back to it the the HR manager he was actually black he was cool he was a cool brother um he was the one that had to fire me and i remember like i'm like crying and he told me at the time i'm probably what like 19 he was like look this is gonna make you better for the record they kind of set me up to fail with that internship they put me like in a dim lit corner everybody else had a buddy i was by myself i was like nah y'all were y'all y'all played me but he was right like i remember that sting but i remember thinking like okay like this doesn't define me this doesn't mean i'm not capable this doesn't mean i'm not worthy this doesn't mean i don't have the work ethic or the intelligence or the drive to make it and so like even situations like that now i'm thankful for it because i'm like you know it taught me a lot just about how the corporate world works how the corporate world runs the expectations and now as an entrepreneur I love when people want to get into business because they're like, oh, well, I want to be my own boss. I don't want to have a boss. And I'm, I tell everybody that's that's false. Like when you get into entrepreneurship, you have more bosses than you ever had in a corporate job. Because mm-hmm. in a corporate, you know, usually you have like one person that you report to. And as long as you keep that one person happy, by and large, mm-hmm. like you're good. you're good. Right. But when you're when you're running your own show, now you have a responsibility to everybody else. Now you're responsible to your customers. Now you're, if you got business partners, now you're responsible to your business partners. Now you're responsible to your staff. That's the one that people don't even think about, right? So like sometimes we'll have an event and somebody will, you know, they'll kind of complain a little bit about the price. You know, maybe I can do something for them. Maybe I can't. But sometimes I tell them like, hey, man, I have a responsibility. I got 30 staff members I got to pay every other week. So mm-hmm. I can't do less than this because then I can't do right by my staff. If I can't do right by my staff, I'm not going to have staff. And if I'm not going to have staff, you're not going to have your service. Mm-hmm. So what's up? And then usually people are like, oh, okay, cool, cool. And then you have to, you are literally the captain of your ship. So you have mm-hmm. the energy that you bring, the tenacity that you bring, the attitude in a positive way, like the positive attitude that you bring is going to reverberate and everybody else on that ship is going to rock with the with the flow that you set. So you mm-hmm. can't really be be off your game too much because it's not just one person being off their game and having a bad day. If you're having a bad day, 30 people or 50 people are having a bad day. Yeah. And that's not what you want. I actually never thought about that. 
I also tell myself like, yeah, I want to be my own boss, but that's very true. Entrepreneurship, you have many bosses, especially your customers. Your customers are your number one priority. Nothing will humble you faster. Nothing will humble you faster. And then the other thing with entrepreneurship is it's like that old adage where they're like, you know, to build something takes a long time, but to break it down is in, you can break, you can destroy easily. Like quickly. Yeah. A, a lot of that is true in entrepreneurship. Sometimes somebody might do something, you know, to really get on your nerves or somebody might, you know, I've had situations where, for example, um, you know, the landlord for the space that we lease, you know, has talked out the side of his neck to me. And I was like, Oh my God, like I wanted to two piece him. But in my mind, I'm just like, I can't do that because if we get into beef, at the end of the day, he can kick us out. Okay, mm-hmm. yes, you know, we can go and find another another space. How much is it going to cost to relocate? Um, yeah. Our customers that are already used to our location for years and years and years, now all of a sudden, you know, how much are we going to be losing both in, you know, opportunity cost and in transition costs? And then is it worthwhile versus the amount of rent you paying? Like you have to take all of those things into consideration. You have to have mm-hmm. much more restraint, be more aware. Like it's, there, there's just so much riding on it, so much responsibility. I can't imagine. Wow. I mean, you would, ex- you would, you'd be, you would excel in entrepreneurship, Shade. You got the personality for it. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Yo, I've been learning from my friends. I've been learning from y'all. Yo, it's, <laughs> oof, oof, it's, but it's rewarding. That's that's the biggest thing out of it, honestly. Like, I've gotten to do things over the past five years with my family that I, not to say that I couldn't have done it if I was still in corporate, but the probability of it was just like so much lower. I remember when my mother was turning fifty; she had never been to Cape Verde, you know, the country where her parents were born and raised. And I was always, like, cracking jokes around about it. I was like, Ma, when you gonna go? Ma, when you gonna go? Oh, yeah, I'm gonna go eventually. I'm gonna go eventually. So eventually, like, it was one Friday night. You know, things were controlled at the business. She was just with a friend of hers. They were, like, you know, enjoying, like, a glass of wine and talking. And I was there cracking jokes, cracking jokes. And then I was like, I'm booking you a ticket and I'm sending you. She was like, no, you're not. I was like, I'm booking you a ticket and I'm sending you. She said, no, you're not. I book her ticket. I don't got to ask nobody if she going to have time <laughs> off, right? Like, I don't got to talk to her boss. I was like, bye. And she was like, you did what? And then she thought about it. She was like, oh, shit, I'm going to Cape Verde for two weeks. <laughs> so, like, there's those, there's those advantages to it that I'm very, very, like, mm-hmm. grateful for. And the building of community and the networking. Mm-hmm. Um, for our business specifically, like, there's a lot of cultural elements to it. So there's a lot of personal significance in it for me. It's not just like, you know, chasing a bag. Like there's those other elements that really play a big factor into, you know, who I am in my life, my family's life, my culture. So mm-hmm. I'm able to kind of put it all together and still fortunately <laughs> collect the salary. But speaking of the bag, how has the pandemic affect the restaurant? Did you have to create new creative strategies to still keep your customers and keep money coming in? Definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely we did. Um, so the the pandemic was, whew, it was a lot. <laughs> I think I'm still traumatized. <laughs> I remember when our governor, like, 
came out and said that starting that Tuesday, basically everything was going to be closed, like for restaurants specifically, since that's the industry that we're in. He -hmm. said no more in-house dining, like no in-house dining, no events. It was only takeout and delivery. I thought I got shot. I sort of thought I got shot and said, excuse me. You said what? I said, sir. (laughs) I literally... Yo, I went into, like, a war mentality because in my mind, I was like, okay, you know how usually you have, like, fight or flight response? Yep. <laughs> I, I immediately thought, like, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done to keep this business alive. Keep in mind, this is before, you know, they're talking about COVID relief funds. This is before PPP. This is before early unemployment. This is... I'm talking about this was like March, middle of March 2020. Like, it was just like, bang, you're closed. Like, there was no but, there was no dot, 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 nothing. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, whatever. If I got to, like, I had some emergency money saved up. So I was like, yo, if I got to not get a check for, like, whatever, like, three, six months, like, I'll do what needs to be done, whatever. Hopefully when the business booms, I can get paid back. You know, I'll work what I got to work you know, no break, not no breaks, but like no days off, all of that mindset. And for a little while, it was like that. It was like that. So our sales fell 40% overnight. And mm. yeah, it, it, it sucked. It just sucked. I remember sitting down with my staff and letting some of them know like, yo, like, you know, we're just not going to be able to support it because it was like you're hemorrhaging money if your sales drop 40%. Um, and you're not you're not a big company with um, investors and, you know, they'll do their they'll do their financial filings. And this quarter we lost two hundred million dollars and it's still business as usual. You lose money in a small business. You're out of business. Like that's it. Rent is due. Gas is due. You got to pay your staff. So they were really cool about it and they were understanding. God bless you. We have a good team. But it still sucked having that conversation. And then um, what we thought was like, okay, well, if takeout and delivery is all we got, takeout and delivery is all we're going to do. And we just hit it like a thousand percent. I remember it was literally, I was probably working an average, an average of like 14 hours a day, seven Mm -hmm. days a week for about like three and a half months. And I just had to like revamp all of our systems. So we had probably done one, two, three websites to that point. We did a fourth website, completely redid it with online ordering capabilities, um, had to restructure that whole thing and make it, you know, user-friendly for our customers to try to encourage people to place orders. We already had Uber Eats. Yes, yes, yes. We had DoorDash prior. They, DoorDash does some slick stuff, so I'm not going to get too deep into that. But the point is, we fortunately ended up signing up for DoorDash literally maybe a week and a half before the pandemic hit, before the news announced. So we ended up getting on DoorDash. If we had if we had been like the thousands of restaurants nationwide that tried to get on it like after the restrictions were announced, they were probably mm-hmm. backed up for a couple of months as far as shipping out tablets. So we lucked wow. out. Yeah, we lucked out big time there. And then... We also caught a little bit of good fortune because what happened was with everybody trapped at the house, our city's kind of a commuter city for Boston. So a lot of 
folks live here, but they don't necessarily work here. They don't necessarily spend their, you know, weekends or free time here. Like they kind of come, they lay their head at night and then, you know, they go to work to Boston during the weekdays, during the weekends, you know, they might be out doing family stuff or whatever the case may be. So a lot of folks, even though they had been here for years and years and years, and we have been here for years and years and years, they don't really know us like that, especially outside of like the Cape Verdean community, because that's the majority of our clientele. Well, everybody was stuck at home. You can't eat pizza seven days a week. Like you can, but (laughs) but you can. Like as an adult, you really, really can. And then you get tired of cooking. So what started to happen was people were seeking out like different options as far as food, you know, and... When we got on those apps, they started kind of seeing the the pictures of our meals. They tried it one time. It was a wrap. We got them. Like, <laughs> literally like that old George Bush thing. It was like, ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Um, <laughs> once they tried our food one time, it was over. Because it was it's real food. Like, we cook for real, for real. Our ingredients are fresh. We cook from scratch. We're not using, like canvas or like frozen that like you know we're actually buying ingredients we're cutting we're seasoning um you know our ingredients are our our recipes are original a lot of them came from my mother herself and so people taste that difference especially our city's kind of like a food island too where you don't have that many like quote-unquote healthy options or real food so once they started seeing that like yo like they have real food like it's grilled chicken like it was seasoned well you know, they have salmon, they have steak, they have, like, if you want fish, like, fresh fish, like, we had those options. It was, boom. It was just, like, repeat business over and over and over again. So our takeout boomed, our delivery boomed, and then it just got to a point where it was, like, wow, like, we're gonna, we're gonna make it through this thing. And not only are we gonna make it through this thing, like, we're technically in a better position than we were ever before the pandemic. So, where we're very, very blessed, like that it was a shock to the system, but we we grinded it out and we came out way stronger on the other end because of it. That's dope. That's dope. Well, I'm so happy that y'all were able to recover and business is back to booming. Ooh, thank God. Thank <laughs> God. And now like we're exploring a lot of different lines of revenue. Um, we actually just had um a friend of mine, but she she worked for a big restaurant group for many, 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 many years. So she kind of mm-hmm. just joined the team as a consultant for us. She's going to be coming in multiple times a week, really like touching some of our problem areas, really focusing on some of the areas that we've kind of identified that have the biggest capacity for growth as far as revenue. So we're, we're in a good place right now. Very thankful. Very thankful. Nice. So what's next for you and the restaurant? Any you know, big plans that you can you know, release to us? If you can't, that's uh, fine. We like surprises. I'm, no worries. Um, I'll, I will say this. So this was happening before all the restrictions got lifted, but it's definitely sped up since all the restrictions got lifted. Our like group dining, events, private functions, line of business has just grown tremendously. Like People have been requesting it now more than ever. Before the pandemic, we only had our indoor sections, which was already, you know, like significant. But during the pandemic, we were able to actually construct like an outdoor dining area in the Splanada. So 
more than anything, we've really been focusing. We've been focusing on that, and it just it has a crazy potential as far as like being financially worthwhile. Because you, I'll I'll give you an example. This this consultant, our friend, she was giving us an example of a place that she worked. She was saying that on a typical Saturday, and they're they're huge. Like we're nowhere near the scale. But she was like, just with regular in-house dining, they would make like two to three thousand dollars in revenue. But because mm-hmm. of the events, and they would do so many events, this was like a typical typical Saturday, they would be pushing like fifty thousand just because oh, of the events. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like orders of magnitude. So I was like, oh, okay. I know what I need to focus on. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I need to focus on. I know what I need to focus on. Right. So our last question, what advice do you have for those who want to transition from STEM to entrepreneurship or if they want to get into restaurants as well? Like what advice do you have for them? Pick a more profitable area. (laughs) Nah, nah, I'm playing, I'm playing. Um, I would say if you're going to go from STEM to entrepreneurship, really 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 take time to connect with people that are either already doing what you want to do because they will they'll be they'll be able to put you onto game like yeah. especially people that look like you like god bless our communities communities of color especially i'm speaking specifically to the black community we tend to look out for each other a lot in my personal experience i can't say that's for everybody and every time i've kind of reached out to somebody that had good energy and you know they were where i want to be they've usually they've 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 blessed me with some of their time so i'm very thankful for that and i i'm not sure if it's the national society of black accountants or something like that but i know one of them has a model which is like lift as we climb Mm. so that's kind of the way that a lot of the folks who are successful in our community tend to look at things so don't feel free. Don't be afraid. Reach out, you know, connect and, and and pick their brain, man. Pick their brain so you can set up a good plan for you to be successful in your entrepreneurial career. And don't have imposter syndrome. Like if you finish an engineering degree, trust and believe. Trust and believe. You can you can do this entrepreneurship thing. Yeah, like, engineering is not easy. Yeah, it ain't hard in instructional analysis, bro. Like, I'm telling you, you got to grind through it just like you kind of had to grind through that degree, but yeah. it can be done. And then the financial rewards are are just, are they're amazing. Like, you might have some ups, you might have some downs, but if you really, really hone in and you really, really dedicate yourself, like, mm-hmm. there's, I don't think there's anything you can do that has more financial gain than entrepreneurship regardless of what area you're going into whether that's restaurants real estate you start your own stem related business but i definitely recommend it if you have that passion if you have that fire in you and you're willing to see it through then then you you can do it and you're going to make it i absolutely agree you heard that listeners stay determined and use your network and connect with those in your community and speaking of connecting where can our listeners connect with you they have some follow-up questions or they want to go to your restaurant gotcha so my 
I try to make myself relatively available. You can always hit me up on Instagram. My Instagram is Jason, that's spelled J-A-Y-S-E as in Edward, N, and then Luanda. Luanda is the capital of Angola, so that's spelled L-U-A-N-D-A. Again, Jason Luanda, all one word, no spaces, no dashes, nothing. Or you can check out our business page as well. It's called uh, Luanda Brockton, Brockton being the, the city in the greater Boston area that we are located in. So also one word on Instagram, and you'll be able to kind of check out our place and see some of the good stuff that we do. But um, definitely feel free to reach out to me with any questions that you have, and I'll, I'll try to provide some, some clarity. Awesome. So I'll make sure to include all that information in the episode description. But man, Jason, is you know, it's always a pleasure connecting with you. Yes. I. I'm always learning from you all the time. Yeah, stop. All uh, the yo. time. Y'all, y'all done passed me. I'm just over here just trying to make this thing work. Oh, man, I'm trying to be like you when I grow up. Uh, stop, 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 stop. Now, y'all are, y'all are doing wonderful things. And honestly, Shade, you're wonderful. You've always been wonderful. Like, that has not changed in all of these years. I'm proud to see you doing your thing. You're moving on up the corporate ranks. You know, don't forget about me. When you're the CEO of one of these Fortune 500s, that's all I'm saying, right? Don't forget about us little people. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but for real though, I really appreciate you just sharing your story of going from engineer to a restaurateur. And I definitely learned a lot. And I know my listeners would definitely learn as well. And once I go back to Massachusetts, I definitely have to come through Luanda. Come through, come through. By the way, I might be doing an event at the end of the month. Just saying. Okay, I'm, let me keep my eyes on that. I'll let you know what's up. I'll let you know what's up. It's yet to be confirmed, but if it is, I got you. Yeah, keep you posted. Anytime, anytime. So my listeners, thank you again for tuning into another episode of the Winner STEM Podcast. Make sure you rate, subscribe, give us five stars. Apple Podcasts, Google, Pandora, and we're now on YouTube, so go and subscribe. So tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow us on Instagram at the Win and Stem Podcast. Tag us with your favorite takeaway. Enjoy the rest of the week and stay tuned to our next STEMpreneur that we'll be highlighting. Until next time, y'all be great and go out and win in STEM. Thank you.